views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Wow, everybody, it is so great to be connecting with all of you. I am excited about the show today, Benny. We have a great show. This is going to be so awesome and so fun. I love it. I want to shout out to Mr. Benny. Hello, Mr. B. Hey, Pat. How you be? I be good. Happy Monday. Happy <laughs> happy day to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that we know that has changed in the landscape of radio is uh, the amount of work that our producers, Mr. Benny, has to do throughout any given show. And we so, so appreciate that. And all of the people that, you know, make this sound so easy for me. And I'll tell you, it does take a village. And all of you are part of our radio family. Thank you so much for tuning us in and turning us on. Today's show is exciting. It's one of many that Dr. Dan Cohen and I are going to do together. And I am so thrilled to be introducing all of you to who he is. And there's nothing that I can say today that will even give you enough of a snippet for you to know the depth and the breadth of what his purpose is on this planet. You know, he is beyond being a a neurologist, an inventor, and an author. He is somebody, somebody that is so committed to helping us, himself including, understand personal and spiritual development. And, you know, for those of you out there, when we ask you the question, what do you want to hear more about? That's what you said. We want to hear more about spiritual development. What does it mean? What is spirituality today in our busy world? He is the lead inventor of many things, but mostly the patented Tools to Awaken technology introduced in 2013. And you're going to hear a lot about that as we move forward. But He's also the author of several books. One of them, well, they're all totally fun, but the one today we're talking about is Addicted to My Ego. And this is a book that when I first got this book, I I started to look at it and I was fascinated by it. But what I started to think about as I read through it was, wait a minute. Dr. Dan has been sitting in on some of the conversations I've been having in my own mind. And how do I know that? 
because you're going to hear it today. You know, beyond being the author of Claim Your Basic Rights and, you know, Create a Practical Partnership with Your Soul and, you know, so forth and so on. There's so many books here, so many bodies of work that he's done that we are going to make sure we cover them all. But besides all of that, how do you get to be a doctor? How do you get to be somebody that's been on a board of uh, psychiatry and neurology and write a book that talks about and demonstrates conversations between the ego and our higher self. What is it that must have tapped Dr. Dan Cohen on the shoulder? Because today, our two minds, one that creates fear, the other love. How can we choose love. Dr. Dan, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Pat. It's a a joy to be here. I love talking with you, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of fun because in the short period of time that you and I have known each other, when you think about, you know, the many lives we get to have, Um, And I know in future shows, we're going to talk about some of the things you and I are doing together and share that with our listeners. Today, what is so cool is this book, Addicted to My Ego. When I first got this, I thought to myself, I don't know, addicted to my ego. How does that work? So I have to ask you, how has writing this book, Addicted to My Ego, how does this reflect your own life? And, you know, tell us about your own journey. Well, you know, actually, uh, when I was writing this book, I started to realize, you know, in the, in the beginning when you write a book, you often don't know what the title's going to be. You just start writing. And yeah. as, as I was writing it, it occurred to me uh, that, wow, you know what? There are 22 kinds of addiction out there. But what is fundamental to all of them is our addiction to our ego. And really... This is the root cause of all of our addictions, you know, whether it be alcohol, drugs, you know, um, whatever kind of addiction you may have. For me, it's sweet, uh, except for my addiction to my wife, which which I would say is healthy. But but for me, when I look at addiction, the fundamental problem is we don't really know who we are. And we assume we are this set of beliefs and coping strategies that comprises the ego, and we get stuck right there. And that's the root of our problem. Yeah. I mean, I think that for some, it really becomes a very deep root, some deeper than others, right? You know, but but most of the time, we're so in the middle of whatever it is we're in the middle of being, right, or doing. We don't have enough of a stop, a breathing room. Now, look, you've been trained as a neurologist, and, you know, what is another word for that? That's literally a brain doctor, right? Right, right? exactly. Yep. <laughs> right. And, and so here you are now. Uh, some people would say one of the least likely people to be, to be out in the world talking about this aspect of the mind, you know, this aspect of living and, you know, what goes on. Where are we with the understanding of ego, mind, and brain? Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question, and unfortunately there's, there's no short answer. 
But, <laughs> you know, I, I, remember, I remember when I was in medical school and, and through my neurology training, um, you know, we, we had all sorts of readings to do. And what struck me is the fact that nowhere does it say or is there any proof that mind actually comes from brain. You know, Penfield in his early studies would stimulate the brain with an electrical impulse and, you know, your finger would move or there would be speech or something would happen. But nowhere is there a stimulation producing an original thought. And I think that when you really think back and say, wait a minute, does this brain actually create thought or mm. is thought something that then travels into the brain and then throughout. I mean, because so many people will say to you, you know, I know I'm a spiritual being. Yeah. Well, does that, does that spiritual being reside in the brain or does it work through the brain? And I, I think, you know, one of the things I know we're going to talk about in this show is the whole concept of an inner dialogue. Yeah. Well, well okay, wait a minute. Where are these two voices coming from? Is, is one from my left hemisphere and the other from my right hemisphere? I don't think so. You know, or is one from what I truly am as a spiritual being, and the other is what it sounds like when it passes through all the processes that my brain puts that thought through, okay, which is essentially the ego. So I would say the brain, the substance of the brain, is the seat of the ego, not the seat of the soul. Wow. So here's what we've got for our listeners. Because, Dr. Dan, this is really what goes on when we're looking at a conversation about being addicted to my ego. There is this dialogue that goes on, inner dialogue. The two minds conversing? I don't know. We got something special. What does that sound like for those of you out there? What does it sound like? What do these two minds conversing sound like? Well, get ready. Fasten your seatbelt. Here it is. Hi, Dan. Who are you? Ah, I'm your higher self. Really? Absolutely. I think I've heard you before. Am I a fading memory? I think you used to be, but I, I sort of remember you, sort of when I wake up in the morning. I get to remind you of the truth of who you are. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I think I am who I am. I know. So how are you feeling? You know, um, fairly relaxed physically, but I've got a small undercurrent of agitation. That's better than fine. Well, I still feel a little agitation. I meant, in the past, when you said fine, you were really not feeling anything, and now you are. In the past, you were shut down most of the time. That's true. Uh, I do feel much more now. Hmm. Well, why are you feeling agitated? I have a lot on my plate right now. I'm probably putting a bit too much pressure on myself to get everything done in too fast a time frame. You generally create too tight a schedule for yourself, don't you think? 
you don't provide enough breathing space. You used to tell me that I should spend more time being and feeling versus thinking and doing. Well, that's correct. So why aren't you reminding me of that now? Well, obviously, you don't need reminding. You have remembered that all by yourself. I must need reminding because I'm stuck in my same old pattern. Well, not exactly. You're much further along than you were. Because I remember that I'm better off spending more time in a state of being and feeling. Well, that the fact that you do spend much more time in states of being rather than doing, and you're spending time feeling rather than thinking. Even when you're thinking and doing, you frequently check in on your body and see how you're feeling, and you remain much, much more receptive than you were. That's very nice of you to say. However, I feel that you're about to drop the other shoe. You feel that I'm about to say, oh, but now that you have gotten this far, you should dot dot dot. Exactly. You are the perceptive one today. Okay. So what is it? Well, you want to feel more from your heart. You don't believe you feel love strongly enough. Yes, that that is true. Why do you believe that? I just do. Obviously, I can't prove it because it's just how I feel. But since I feel other emotions more completely throughout my body, I must be able to feel love more completely too. Am I wrong? You are correct. So why can't I feel love as strongly as the other emotions? Is there something wrong with my ability to feel? If there was something wrong with your ability to feel, you'd not be able to feel the other emotions so completely. There's nothing wrong with your ability to feel. Then what is it? Well, what do you think it is? Well, since I can feel it somewhat, I must not be allowing myself to feel it more. Why would you inhibit the feeling of love? I agree. That makes no sense. Then why do you do it? So you're saying I actually do that? Yes, you do block the feeling of love. Before that feeling emerges, you feel something different. You're not willing to allow love to fully express itself. Why? I must inhibit that feeling. Because I don't want to reveal that feeling. To whom? To the other person. Hmm. Then why do you tell the other people that you love them, which you do, if you're trying to hide that from them? Yeah, that wouldn't make much sense, would it? Not at all. So who are you hiding that feeling from? There's no one left but me. Mm, that is correct. You do not fully experience the feeling of love because it triggers some of your deeper fears. I want to be able to feel love completely throughout all of me. Yes, I know you do, but you block yourself from having those feelings. What are you referring to? Dig a little deeper. Why would I not want to feel love? You have adopted an attitude in which you prefer to stand alone and apart in order to protect yourself. Well, I do have that tendency. Why? Because I don't want to depend on anyone else. 
When you are willing to be dependent on anyone else, you block the feeling of love. Why? Love makes you feel vulnerable. It puts you at risk. Risk of what? Well, what do you think? I'm not sure. Allow yourself to feel. Loss. Loss of what? I would be vulnerable to losing whatever it is that I love. You have spent much of your life guarding against loss. What do you feel when your mother passed? I didn't feel that much. How do you feel about that? Well, it makes me feel a little different. Most people are very sad when they lose a parent, especially their primary caregiver. They usually grieve over their loss. I really didn't shed a tear when she died. You did tear up at the funeral when you delivered her eulogy. That's true, but it wasn't about my loss. It was related to the feeling she had in the story I related. And that story simply precipitated tears of grief from within you. They were your tears. But when I think of her being gone, I don't feel any sense of loss. Well, what do you feel? I don't feel anything. It's been nine years since she died. Do you remember what you were feeling when you sat with her during her time in hospice? Most of the time, my wife Jen and I were just sitting there while she was in a drug-induced stupor. Although Jen was busy watching, I had never realized what really happens to a person while they're waiting to pass. I was fascinated by what Jen perceived. My mother was in dialogue with her higher self. Reevaluating what she might have done differently in certain of her life's situations, and how she would have felt if she had made those other choices, she lingered in that state for almost two weeks. While we were present, Jen was able to tell me what situations my mother and her higher self were reviewing. So, what did you feel? I really don't remember feeling anything. Well, your mother became lucid before she died, and you had a chance to say goodbye. You told her you loved her. Do you remember? Yeah. What were you feeling then? Well, I felt sad. Hmm. Why? She was leaving. What else did you feel? I felt somewhat alone. Your feelings trigger a deeper sense of your knowing. Do you understand what your feelings are telling you? In my work on myself, I recognize that I have feelings of abandonment. Yet you don't really understand it, its genesis. Not really. I don't recall any event in my life that should have caused such an issue. Hmm. You've blocked out much around the time of your brother's birth. What do you remember? I don't remember much. Which is strange, as I was already seven years old. Well, it was a few weeks after your seventh birthday during the summer. You were in day camp during that time, but the issue began even earlier, while your mom was pregnant. Your unborn brother was already interfering with your favorite evening seat. Remember how you used to sit up against your mother's abdomen while you and your parents watched TV? Oh, 
That's right. I could no longer sit that way. I lost the only physical contact I would normally receive. That's correct. And then after his birth, you were never able to sit that way again. That physical connection meant more to you than you realize. But I did have my freedom. Yes, you did. But did you really want your freedom back then? What do you mean? My mother was a nag. She was not that much of a nag that early in your life. You recall more about that from later years. You were still very much attached to your mother when you were seven. Your brother's arrival changed that significantly. You had been an only child for seven years, and you had her undivided attention. The new baby changed that abruptly. Your mother tended to focus on one thing at a time, and Carrie became her principal focus as soon as he entered the scene. Are you saying that my inability to more fully experience love was caused by this one issue? This was the most significant causative event in in this life, but there were many other smaller events that compounded the problem. It's hard for me to believe that this abandonment issue is such a big deal. That fear, although not severe, drives many of your feelings and behaviors. Such as, well, it reinforces your already strong-willed nature to be independent of others. You prefer to be self-reliant, to stand alone like an island. That's not a bad thing. Well, this is not about good versus bad or right versus wrong. This is about understanding why you are as you are. You are the one who wishes to feel love more completely. I don't see why I can't continue to be self-reliant. And independently minded, and still feel love more completely. Why is it that you wish to feel love more completely? I think that it, it's holding me back. Holding you back in what way? I want to know what I truly am. Your thought process is quite correct. I knew it, but I don't know how to correct it. On the contrary, you do. What do you mean? So you already stated that you wish to love more completely. That is a path for you. But I don't know how to do that. Is it not as difficult as it seems? When feelings of love begin to emerge, allow them to flow. You are mindful enough to witness how you block the fuller expression of love. Are you not? Yes, I have noticed how I retreat into feelings of resistance and isolation. Well, then what happens? I begin to think and not feel. What thoughts come to mind? I think about what I can do to be independent of the situation that has triggered those feelings. Yes, you defend against any possible future hurt by remaining less dependent upon any deeper engagement with other people. Yes, but I do love the people close to me in my life. Yes, you do. But you limit the fuller expression of that love. So what are you suggesting? Well, when those feelings of resistance and isolation appear, acknowledge them and focus on the situation at hand. Allow your feelings of love to expand throughout your body, especially, especially your heart. And you're claiming that all of this resulted from the arrival of my brother, which is a commonplace occurrence. This kind of thing happens to many people. 
Not everybody has the predisposing factors that strongly influenced you. Oh, so there is something deeper. Yes. Well, what is it? You will come to learn of it in time. Why can't you tell me? I can tell you, but it will do you more good when you discover it yourself. Why? If I tell you, you will receive the information at only a mental level. You'll not feel it very much. So? It will have much less of an effect on you. Why? Well, why do you think? Well, I don't know. Oh, that's my point. You're making no sense. Oh, it's perfectly clear to me. Of course it is, but your job is to teach me, and that's not helping. I asked you to think, and you responded that you don't know. So, what does it mean? You want to know what you are. You do believe that you can know that by thinking. Of course, why not? Knowing that you are is not a fact that you can prove, such as two plus two equals four. Knowing what you are is something that you experience with your senses. The knowing of facts and your sense of knowing are quite different. The knowing of facts can be gained through your mental faculty, but that alone cannot produce a sense of knowing. Why not? The knowing of fact is just a mental concept. It is not something that can be felt and experienced, like love, for instance. So why don't you just tell me what the deeper issue is, and I'll try to re-experience it. The origination of that issue is not something you will be able to re-experience in that way. When you're ready, the re-experience will be made available to you. In the meantime, allow yourself to feel more, and the rest will come. What about my desire to know what I am? Well, what about it? Are you saying that I won't be able to get to that knowledge without a more complete understanding about my abandonment issue? Oh, you have enough of an understanding to know why you block greater expression of love. As long as you're open yourself to those feelings, you will be able to reach your goal. I still only have a vague notion about how my ability to feel love more completely is linked to knowing what I truly am. Hmm. Dan, you seek an understanding that can only be gained through experience. The experience requires an openness to love. Providing more information to you at this time may create expectations or assumptions on your part that would likely limit your experience. I do not wish to serve you in that way. Okay, fine. Tune in to Sheer Alchemy with Leslie Fontaine on TransformationTalkRadio.com and get ready to stir up your passions, identify your blocks, and shift into an entirely new existence. 
Leslie Fontaine is a transformation catalyst and clairvoyant who uses her intuitive and energetic gifts to catapult listeners into living the life they were born to live. Whether it's shifting from scarcity to abundance, from emotional pain into joy, or from illness into health, Leslie will help you step into the true essence and power of all that you are with the help of the Ascended Masters and Archangels. You will not be the same. Visit TransformationTalkRadio.com for show dates and times and LeslieFontaine.com to say yes to explosive abundance. Naturopathic doctor, founder of the Martha's Vineyard Holistic Retreat, and author of the New York Times bestseller, 21 Pounds in 21 Days, Dr. Ronnie Deleuze has helped tens of thousands of people, including celebrities and athletes, with her message of lifestyle change. Now, Dr. Ronnie Deleuze wants to help you. You, too, can be saved. Email Dr. Ronnie Deleuze at info at ronniedeleuzeonradio.com and visit mvholisticretreat.com. Dr. Ronnie Deleuze, your partner in wellness. What would you say if I told you that you could change your life in only one hour and all while lying down relaxing? Thousands of people all over the world have. What am I talking about? It's called Access Consciousness The Bars. The Bars is an energetic body process that contains 32 different points on your head that when run assist you in releasing decisions about any area of your life that you have made solid and as a result cannot change. The BARS is the first class in Access Consciousness, a dynamic set of tools and information designed to transform any area of your life. When you have a BARS session, the worst that can happen is you feel like you had a fantastic massage. The best thing that can happen is your whole life could change. Go to accessconsciousness.com today to find a facilitator to schedule a private session or to find a BARS class in your area. Are you willing to give yourself an hour to change your life? Wow, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. You know, it is so great to have Dr. Dan Cohen joining me here today. Our two minds, one that creates fear, the other love. Uh, how can we choose? How can we choose love? And what what today's show is about for those of you out there is really looking in to, uh, at some of the dialogue that happens. His fabulous book, Addicted to My Ego, is one of these books where the dialogue between the ego and the higher self goes on and on and on in this book. But it breaks it down into into conversations that many of us can relate to. Uh, and for those of you out there, we're going to make sure that you have the website. If you want to find out more about the book, you can go to addictedtomyego.com or you can go to toolstoawaken.com. And we're going to talk a lot about that. Dr. Dan, what was that like for you to listen to that now again? Well, you know, I, I it, it caused me to um, re-experience uh, what it felt like to actually write those words and <clears throat> that was that was an interesting time for me which was about a year ago because it still wasn't clear to me that in order to accomplish the ability to understand what I truly am 
I had to sort of give up and just release what I thought I was so that I could simply feel and be that. And essentially what it shows is that feeling is the gateway, not thinking. And that's difficult for a neurologist to admit because what it means is we really have to turn off the brain and just feel and be as opposed to think and do. Mm. You know, one of the things that I, I was really struck by as I was listening to it again was the dialogue and, and a little frustration, right? Because you and I are sitting there and it's kind of like, wait a minute, come on, what, what, wake up. Don't you get what's being asked here? Don't you understand the dialogue? You know, can't you get that, you know, that, you know, like, wh- why is this so hard for you, Dan? Just get it, right? And that's the dialogue that we have with ourselves Um, and the conversation about the role of the ego and what the ego is. You know, the word ego has literally uh, taken on some bumps in the road as time is going on. And I would love for you to tell folks what the ego is. Does it have a role in modern day society? And what do we do to just over egotize ourselves? (laughs) That's a new word, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, we, we really need our ego. I mean, let's mm-hmm. face it, the ego is not a bad thing. We, we have this tendency to look at some of the negative things that we see in ourselves and others and say, hey, that's all ego and that's bad, and then we generalize and say, hey, I wish, I wish we can get rid of the whole thing. But really, when you look at the fundamental aspect of ego, it's a tool to keep us safe, okay? And, and if you equate ego with brain, and you say, what is the primary function of the brain? What is the most important function of the brain? It's our survival instinct, and it's to, it's to manifest that. And we do that through you know, our vigilance system. We watch with our eyes, we listen with our ears, we feel with our body in terms of touch, And those are our three main sensory cues that are always on the lookout, consciously and subconsciously, for danger. And that is the that is the principal, you know, function of the brain at its most, you know, basic level. And when you think about that, that tells you that the brain is really a judgment machine. It's evaluating everything in terms of danger. But what we've done is to say, wait a minute, I'm not only going to judge as to whether or not something is dangerous or not, but but since I'm so good at making judgments, I'm going to extend that function into good versus bad and right versus wrong. Mm-hmm. And so now I start labeling you know, everything that's happening to me, and so the ego is literally the development of that extension. Of, of making judgments. And then we categorize things, we classify things, we segregate things, and all of a sudden, you've developed all of these beliefs and rules, and once we know that something is good or bad or right or wrong, we then develop coping strategies or defense mechanisms because we don't want to be labeled, you know, bad or wrong. So, so all of a sudden, 
we developed this thing called ego. Well, you know, one of the things I love about this is, you know, when we're sitting here and we're listening to it and we're thinking about how we, you know, take a look at our lives and how we move forward, I, it, you know, it is so interesting for me to think about not even coming close to understanding, you know, w- when I'm in the uh, in the in the overuse of the ego, when I'm in that place. Uh, and, you know, some people say, Dr. Dam, it is like, wait a minute, you know, the ego is the ego and you stand a better chance of taming a large, full adult female cougar than you do the ego. I, I mean, it, you know, it, the whole idea for people seems so foreign. As a matter of fact, some people stand in their ego and say, hey, this is just who I am. So what do you make of that? I mean, not that you have any experience in any of that, Dr. Dan, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it's really interesting. I, I just went to a conference, and, um, and we were demonstrating our technology, and, and one person was, was trying it, and she was upset with me because I told her that whenever she starts to think, just go to her body and feel. And mm. so at the end of her experiment, she was she expressed her dissatisfaction with that statement, and um, she she essentially said, you know, that's wrong, because I think, therefore I am. <sighs> I, I, I kind of looked at her and I said, well, <clears throat> I said, does that mean you're defining yourself as your beliefs, as opposed to being anything other than your beliefs? And she thought about that, and at this point, I think she was, you know, she was angry, so she was sort of entrenched in her ego, and she said, yes, she said, I am my belief. <clears throat> at that point, I, there wasn't much I could say, so I wished her well, and I said, well, good luck with that. I said, you know, see if you want to change any of those. And <clears throat> that was really the end of the story. And when you look at that kind of attitude, Mm-hmm. then you really self-define as essentially as all the little things that you've experienced as a child because so many of your beliefs were adopted from your caregivers, typically your parents, you know, siblings, um, other friends. But so much of that happened at, you know, the age of five or under. And so, <clears throat> so those people are literally stuck at that level for, mm-hmm. for the, the most part. And is that is that how you want to self-define? Is that how you want to live? You know, I have to say that there is so much in life that we do miss, uh, you know, in terms of being so entrenched in believing that everything that's happening is part of the thinking mechanism. I don't think that, you know, what I'm trying to say is, you know, thinking isn't something that we can do away with, but there is this idea that we were also given the ability to feel. Now, now you mentioned the technology and you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, being at the conference. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the technology because you are an inventor. As I said before, you know, here we are talking with Dr. Dan, you know, the brain doctor, that's also a fabulous inventor. How did these two things come together? And what is it that you've created? Well, I was always interested in in issues that were, 
um, you know, minds related. And, mm-hmm. I, and I also had interest that from a, a pretty young age as an adolescent in things of a spiritual nature. And so I was always curious about practices like meditation. Mm-hmm. And I was a meditator from, you know, uh, as a young adult. And I was frankly frustrated with my meditation practice because although I could get into a nice state of calm, I I was dismayed by the fact that I could never experience some of the different things I had read about in the spiritual realm. And I was interested in experiencing more, and I figured, hey, you know what, I, I must be doing something wrong. Maybe I can help myself if, if I develop some technology that can assist. And I had come to the conclusion that there really were two things I wanted to do. One was I wanted to figure out a way to put the brain to sleep, but at the same time, keep the mind awake. And after years of research, and I mean probably 15 years of research, we settled on sound and vibration as a way to habituate the brain, so give it a constant enough stimulus where the brain can sort of be lulled into sleep. At the same time, you literally say to yourself, I want to fall asleep. But yet the changes in intensity in terms of sound vibration are enough to sort of keep you drowsy or enough awake. And then we also realize that magnetic field stimulation could really help activate the mind. And I'm not talking about the brain here. I'm talking about the mind. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really a phenomenal combination. And so we learned how to fall asleep and yet wake up on the other side so that the body was asleep or nearly asleep, but over time the mind developed awareness, and then, then you realize, hey, that aspect of me that is aware now is not part of the brain, and therefore it's that awareness without ego, because the ego comes from that brain. So it was a, it was a fascinating process and it allowed us to start experiencing more of what the spiritual realm has to offer that we couldn't get there with meditation alone. Mm. Well, one of the things that we're thinking about now and we're talking about now, and for for many people, you, you know, are the, the dilemma that folks go through, just the idea of meditating and how difficult it is and and have tried a million different things to do and for whatever reason you know the traditional ways of connecting with our inner selves our higher self it's just not working it just doesn't work for them and you know i'm not here to like be a judge of what whether or not it's you know the ego operating or not but you know there are some of us dr dan that you know it takes a, it takes a little bit more to, to get things to really open up. And so when I hear you talking about this, this technology, you know, it, this is something, is it, is it directed and geared to helping people awaken? Well, ultimately, that is the goal. Okay. Um, but, for, but for starters. Yeah, I mean, starters. I mean, yeah, for starters, we wanted something that was really easy, okay? <laughs> because, you know, I mean, look. I mean, why put more work into it if you don't need to? In general, people don't want to have to work at something if it's really difficult. So why not make it easy if you can? 
And so, so our theory was, let's do this thing where we would induce profound levels of relaxation and instruct the person to fall asleep, let the technology wake them up on the other side, and all of it. And, and we, never, we never even used the M word because it scared people. So meditation wasn't even something we mentioned. Instead, we just talked about profound levels of relaxation. And, you know, after a short while, people were kind of waking up on the other side and saying, wow, okay, I get it. And, and then I would say, you know, you're a profound meditator now. Most meditators never achieve that degree of meditation, that depth. And, and you know, then they would understand. They said, okay, you know, I, I feel like I cheated. And I said, well, great. I said, you got there. It doesn't matter how you got there. It's really irrelevant. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that, you know, for me, um, when I'm, I'm sitting here and, and, and I'm really listening, sitting here and listening to the dialogue, um, boy, I'll tell you, I, I was just thinking about myself and I was reflecting, and I'm going to go a couple of months back, you know, where this whole idea of feeling, you know, was really a, a very linear, logical conversation with myself about feeling, right? Uh, and then at the same time, I know what the technology is that has that you've created and I've gotten to experience it. And the level of opening that happens is very difficult to explain, somebody like me to explain because I don't know the science behind it. What I do know is that something happens. And for those of you, you're gonna hear a lot about what the technology is and, and what the, you know, my experience with it is. And, you know, lots Dr. Dan and I are gonna talk about as we move forward. And, and one of the things that I'm really struck by, and I hope you talk to this for a little bit, um, you, know, the, you know, the idea of having a technology now that can af affect us deeply, does a lot of things but one of the things that i would love to talk about here and i know we've got a just a little bit of time left is how opening up helps with healing yeah. how opening and i could hear it in in the recording because i'm listening to the recording and there were a couple moments there where I was starting to get choked up and even after listening to that recording several times I was starting to get a little bit choked up and I, I would love for you to talk about this process um, you know to talk about how what you've created enables people to open up a little bit here and in some cases a lot yeah well you know I go back to what dr. Albert Schweitzer uh, once uh -huh. said uh, when he said uh, we are at our best when we allow the doctor within us to work and you, know, you have to ask, you know, mm -hmm. what is that doctor within us? You know, is that what we truly are, you know, our spiritual self? And, and I believe it is. And I think that when we let, let go to the extent that we can of our ego, let down, surrender that aspect of us, then that which is truly within us can start to emerge more fully. And again, I go back to, you know, how does one do that? It's mm -hmm. not through thinking, it's through feeling and allowing all the feelings to come through. And what we've done with our technology is we've 
we've built something in terms of synchronized sound, vibration, and magnetic field that really allows the brain to go to sleep, that aspect of what we truly are to begin to awaken within us. And as long as the user can just say, you know, I'm willing to accept what is and feel deeply, then it all starts to emerge. And, and I think when you unblock yourself in that way, so much of what we hold, which is unhealthy and promotes, you know, you know, problems with our health, starts to be dismantled. And as that occurs, we start to heal. You know, I was I went back and I was reading your book and I was reading about um, how you were developing this technology. And one of the things you talked about, you know, you talked about resistance in moving forward with the with the project. Right. And I think yeah. you referred to if I can remember the, 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 the your words pretty close. It's something about you wanted to operate from a very binary manner in creating this very binary and most of us that are developing projects or technology we tend to be there right mm -hmm. and so it's interesting to really go back and read about how this was for you in developing this project a project that by the very nature of what you were creating was going to be there to help people awaken and heal and isn't it interesting you got to observe yourself in the process Oh, 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 absolutely. And, 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 uh, and quite honestly, you know, that was my selfish intent. I mean, <laughs> I was doing this for me, really. I mean, I needed it just as much as, as everybody else. I have the same problems, and, and I was looking for my own fix. I'm curious about what the nature of awakening is in the 21st century in the world we live in today. Well, you know, I, I, I think there are many definitions, and, and um, I, I look at the at a definition that is probably a little bit more um, out there, you know, a little bit more demanding. And to me, awakening is when you truly experience, you know, oneness, connectedness with all that is, right. and and when you can when you can move into that state by allowing yourself to be in that state, you know, whenever you choose. And, and I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm certainly, you know, um, you know, a lot further along than I was, and, and I hope to get there one day. And I think that, you know, with some of the stuff we're doing, we can make it easier for people to get there. But I think there are also lots of stops along the way that are, are much you know, much better than being addicted, you know, to foods. And, and, and that is very gratifying because, you know, I'm nowhere near the person I used to be. Um, and I still have, you know, a lot of room to grow, but at least I feel so much better than I used to. And so I'm, I'm pleased with that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you and I are going to be talking much more for those of you out there. Uh, but you can, I want to just make sure all of you know that the technology that we're referring to and we're talking about, it can be seen directly uh, on toolstoawaken.com, right? Toolstoawaken.com. Uh, you know, folks can find out lots of information about what we're talking about. But most importantly, uh, I am thrilled to be able to experience what Dr. Dan Cohen has created. And I'm going to be sharing my personal journey uh, along the way. What does this feel like? You know, what does this feel like to move and learn about how to live more from our higher selves? What is that going to feel like? How are things changing uh, for me? So are you, I'm excited, Dr. Dan, about what we're going to be doing together here. Uh, so am I. Uh, I. I'll call Dr. Dan and I'll say, I got a question for you. I mean, I love what I'm doing. I love the chair. I love it. Big question. Can I become addicted to feeling this good? Isn't that an interesting <laughs> question, Dr. Dan? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it is. I mean, you know, I... I and I think I think the answer to that is no, because you know once you once you feel good, you say okay, I'm fine. Now that I feel good, I'm going to go live my life. Yeah, that's exactly you know, I, right. I, I want to I want to enjoy you know <laughs> this realm, you know, doing what I'm doing, yet feeling this good. And why not? I mean, you, you're here with ones and and people that you you know, have relationships with. Why not deepen those relationships? Why not enjoy your time here? in that way and and live life to its fullest again you know from the vantage point of love not fear exactly and i love this and by the way for those of you out there you heard me say this before love and fear cannot exist on the same plane and what's really really fascinating is to really experience what dr dan and the folks have created in order for for us to even begin to have this conversation what if what if we can have the experience that will allow us to learn more fully how to live from our higher selves how do things change in our lives what happens how does this technology take us perhaps in my case from a very stuck place into an immense expansive energy dr dan cohen and i are going to be talking about this a lot what's your personal message what would you like to leave us with today i think the the thing to realize here is that it's so important to spend more time in our state of feeling as opposed to thinking and doing. And if you can hold that feeling throughout all of you, particularly have it heart-centered, then you're going to be miles and miles ahead in terms of exhibiting love versus fear.